are listening to audio from The Table. If you'd like to learn more about our community or donate to this ministry, please visit thetabletx.org. Hello, Table Podcast listeners. Brett here. And our message this week is coming to you a little bit different. We needed the live version because Eric Stenerson shared his story, and it's incredibly powerful. So I hope it resonates with you and um, gives you just new insight into your own journey with God because he's come through a lot um, from depression, abuse, and I think a lot of uh, people who hear his story can can see themselves in it, can kind of hear their own story and make sense of it. So all that to say, I hope you really enjoy it and um, that God speaks to you this week. Love you lots. So we are... Um, in, uh, in a series right now titled Lent at the Table. Uh, it is, of course, the season of Lent in the Christian calendar. Um, and Lent is basically uh, just a season of, of spiritual preparation um, as we approach Good Friday, the day of the cross, and, uh, and then after that, Easter. So it's 40 days, not including Sundays, uh, kind of leading into that. So, um, you know, we're, so we'll be a lot in the Gospels, in, uh, specifically the Gospel of Luke. Um, in this, uh, this series, since that's kind of the, uh, the prescribed readings. I'm jumping on the uh, United Methodist Church, um, their, their calendar, so I just, I just preach on whatever that is, whatever it says. <laughs> and uh, I found that it's actually it's a good discipline. Like we've talked about in, um, in the past, we'll do kind of different types of series. We'll do like topical series on, you know, just things that feel relevant or timely or needed. Um, other times we'll go through like a book of the Bible, um, like we've been doing with First Peter, which we'll come back to at some point. And, uh, and then other times we just jump on the church calendar and uh, join in. I like doing that because it's, it's a cool way of joining in with the broader church. You know, it's good to remember it's not like just about us, you know, or our little community and we kind of have our own way. You know, it's, it's, it's good, I think, to remember like, hey, we are part of the church universal. And uh, so at any rate, that's, that's kind of what we're doing in this series. So the, uh, the title of my message tonight is uh, Fox and the Hen. Not the hound. Uh, fox and the hen. <laughs> and uh, it was the weirdest timing, though. This week, I go in the living room, and uh, my nephew, he's watching Fox and the Hound. And I was like, my gosh, I haven't seen this in, like, 20 years. And on this very Sunday, there it is. Like, I don't know. The universe is a strange place. Um, so Fox and the hen. And our primary text is going to be Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 34. Um, usually, I'll just kind of, like, read the whole thing, and then we'll kind of go into it. But I'm gonna just, we're going to kind of take it just verse by verse and, and kind of unpack it as we go, as the, as the story unfolds, so to speak. So let's start with uh, verse 31 here. Uh, at that time, uh, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. So uh, it's, it's interesting that the Pharisees are saying this to Jesus. Uh, if you have ever read any of the Gospels, you know, like the Pharisees are almost always the, you know, antagonists. You know, if Jesus is the protagonist and the, the hero of the story, then the Pharisees are like, you know, always kind of trying to trip him up, catch him in his words, you know, set some verbal trap or something. And so it's a little strange here. We have the uh, the Pharisees, you know, trying to like help Jesus. So, you know, scholars speculate like maybe, maybe they're being tricksy. Maybe somehow they want to actually get, I don't know, it's, it's a little strange. Um, it's possible, though, that there are just some Pharisees that were inclined to like or help Jesus. We know just a few um, chapters before this, um, uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has been executed by Herod. So, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe they are. Maybe they actually are genuine. Maybe they 
we, we honestly don't totally know. Um, but regardless, uh, Jesus has quite the response. Uh, Jesus replied, verse 32, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. So, all right, so two questions I think naturally come to mind at this point. Um, number one, who is Herod, and uh, why does Jesus call him a fox? <laughs> so, uh, which, by the way, I take it not as a compliment. Maybe today, I don't know if that's still a compliment, like, I don't know, a fox. It's like handsome, I guess, I don't know. Um, but that's not OG, and Jesus doesn't mean it that way. But all right, let's talk about Herod first. So who is this Herod guy? So basically, Herod was a puppet king, puppet kind of a ruler of the province. Basically, when Rome conquered uh, the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem, they put their people in place. You know, sort of like imagine if, uh, uh, God forbid, Putin's successful in Ukraine, right? Then they may even still call it Ukraine, you know, or at least the city, leave the city with its name, and yet he was going to put his person in charge, right? Um, and that's kind of this situation here. It's sort of like Rome conquered, and so they choose someone who, I think, if I recall, Herod was like half Jewish. Um, so he's sort of, you know, he was, he's kind of trying to walk the line of like, oh, I'm for the people and for Rome, you know. So, of course, the, the, the Jewish people, they weren't fans, not fans of Herod. He was also known as, as uh, quite a brutal ruler, and um, quite cunning, um, which is why, actually, you know, Jesus calls him a fox. Um, and, you know, I, it's interesting. I, when I think of, like, a king, though, I kind of think more like lion. You know, like, why not the lion, the tiger, the wolf? You know, power. These are symbols of power. Um, and I think it's because, you know, cra uh, foxes are, they're, they're crafty. You know, like, that's what foxes are known for. Like, they're predatory just like lions or wolves or things, but... Foxes, man, they're intelligent. I think this makes them a very good kind of animal analogy or um, kind of metaphor for human beings, right? Because we aren't necessarily known for like our physical just prowess, at least compared to like in the animal kingdom. You know, us against a great white shark in the water, not going to be awesome, you know, for us. Um, but what sets us apart kind of in the animal kingdom? It's those intelligence, right? So you got foxes are smart. Humans are smart. Um, and not just smart, but foxes are sly, Humans can be sly, and, and foxes can be, I mean, they're predators, right? And humans, at our worst, um, we can be quite, uh, quite predatory. So, um, I, I, and I think when I, say, when I say predatory, what I mean is to kind of stretch that, that analogy. I'm, I'm getting at the idea that we don't, kind of like foxes, they're sneaky. I've been watching um, a series on Netflix. Some of you all have probably seen Alone. Anyone following the series Alone, if not, you should, it's amazing. Just people out in the wilderness, literally alone, trying to make it. And of course, foxes, foxes are like an issue. And whoo, those foxes, they're smart. They're smart and they're stealing stuff. And they're like, but they're always sneaky, you know, because foxes aren't the most powerful. They're not bears just lumbering around like, I'll do what I want out here, you know? Like, that's not foxes. They're, they gotta be sly. And that's, that's uh, I think, kind of how we humans are. Like, we rarely, especially at least as adults, this is why we sort of adore children and they drive us crazy, but they're just, kids are just open and honest about everything. You know what I mean? Just like, if they're going to sin, they're just going to be like, hey, here it is, you know? <laughs> and uh, humans, you know, as adults, we're, we're sneaky. You know, it's like we're going to mess things up or we're going to kind of act in those, you know, kind of the worst parts of us. 
um, we're going to probably be, you know, kind of sly uh, about it. And um, I think it's interesting how even, like, we'll often distance ourselves from politicians, you know? Like, when talking about politicians, it's almost everyone kind of despises it. It's just like, oh, those you can't trust them. Um, which is always kind of a red flag, like whenever there's a, a person or a group of persons that we're kind of distancing ourselves from with a lot of emotion, usually what is it? We kind of see like the worst parts of us in them. And that's why we're so strong to like, dis oh, I can't believe those politicians. Can you believe those liars? Like manipulative, conniving, sneaky. And it's like, yeah, at our worst, our aren't we kind of fox-like? <laughs> Isn't that kind of, like, aren't we at least, at least more than a touch of politician in all of us adults, <laughs> you know? Um, I, yeah, I think, I think Jesus is, uh, I think he's, he's onto something here. Um, there's a, a great scene in The Dark Knight where, uh, if you've seen it, you'll, you, can't, you won't forget it. It's where the Joker is talking to Harvey Dent, the, who was a politician, and he's there. Harvey's now been injured, and he's um, he's got like you know half his face hurt, and he's there in the hospital bed, and, and the Joker's has this little speech um, with him, and uh, <laughs> what does he say? He's like, oh, that's right. He the Joker goes to Harvey, kind of leaning over. You can see it in this image. He's like leaning over him, and he says, um, you know what I am? He says, I am I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. And you can see here the Joker is sort of a symbol of like chaos and anarchy in the whole movie. He's almost inhuman, like not human in that way. Um, he says that, you know, that's me. Like I'm just a dog chasing cars. Just, he says, I just do things. Uh, and he says, but the mob has plans. Y'all remember this scene? The mob has plans. The cops have plans. Uh, Gordon, the chief of police, has, he's got plans. You know what they are, Harvey, he says? He says, they're schemers. They're schemers trying to control their little worlds. I'm just trying to show the schemers how pathetic their attempts to control things really are. Isn't that power? I mean, now in this moment, like, well, and actually then he gets personal and he says, well, not only it was the schemers who put you where you are, Harvey, but then he says, and you were a schemer. You had plans. And look where that got you. I mean, in this moment, what is that character? What's the joker? What's he naming? He's naming humanity's fox-like ways. He's got us. Which is why the Joker's different, because he doesn't have plants. He's just, he's just chaotic. But we're not, we're not chaotic. Now, um, here's the thing. My, my point tonight isn't so much just to talk about us, though, in our, you know, all of our fox-like ways. What I really want to name um, is that while humanity is fox-like, uh, God is not. While humanity may be fox-like, God is not. Um, in other words, God is not violent or conniving or manipulative. God is not a schemer. Um, and, and now there may be verses in the Bible where God um, 
is named or imaged in those ways. For sure, you can certainly find them. Um, but I think what's happening in those passages is actually it's human beings projecting our own fox-like ways onto God. It's us justifying ourselves. But, but you see, to be Christian is not to just read the Bible as a flat text. It is to interpret it in a very specific way, and specifically to understand who God is in a specific way. It is, we, we take every, every verse, every image of God that's given, and we, we kind of interpret it through the life, the teachings, the character, the very revelation of who God is that we see in the face of Jesus Christ. Like, that's what it means to be a Christian. So humanity may be fox-like. Um, God is not. And, and this is why what you get in this, this next verse is um, this moment where Jesus, um, well, it's honestly, it's one of the most tender, beautiful images of God that we have in the entire Bible. So remember, he just finished saying, um, you know, go tell that fox, um, I'm going to keep on healing people. I'm going to keep on um, setting people free from the demonic, and I'm going to keep on doing the work that God's called me to do. And then he says, you know, because I'm headed towards Jerusalem, because um, no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. And then as though that, the, that word Jerusalem kind of triggers Jesus' memory, all of a sudden he starts lamenting. This is verse 34. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and you stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. Isn't that a stunning image? This is who Jesus reveals God to be. It's, it's a picture, it's a very maternal, mother-like image, isn't it? This is who God is. You know, sometimes when I read the scriptures, I'll imagine it kind of playing out like a movie. I think one of the more stunning things about this passage, remember he just finished talking about Jerusalem, and, we, and he even talks about going there to die, and we know how he's going to die. And when I see this play out, I imagine Jesus as he's saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I, I've, longed, I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Can you see the image? I just imagine him, what's he doing with his hands? Can you kind of see it? Like, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I just, I've longed to just gather you together. What's it, what's it a picture of? It's like this, it's this picture of the cross as he stretches out his arms wide on a cross to die for who? For us, for his children, to bring us back into relationship, back into intimacy, back into connectedness. This is who God is. Humanity may be fox-like, God is not. God is not. Now, of course, what's a little bit tricky is that depending on um, 
the context in which you were raised, depending on your church context, um, how you were raised in the culture, maybe even a totally different religious context, who knows? Um, but depending on those contexts, the way we image God can be quite uh, different, can honestly at times be quite fox-like. And, and so this becomes somewhat of a transition, a journey for us to let go of those untrue images of God and to, to bring ourselves back to the truth. And really, it's, it's sort of a journey of um, trust, you know, learning to trust that God really is, as a, a theologian, Tripp Fuller, he said one of his uh, theological kind of principles or absolutes is God has to be at least as nice as Jesus. I think that's a really good way to put it. That's like, that's one of my rules. God has to be at least as nice as Jesus. And I think for a lot of us, um, it's a journey to get there to like really trust at that level. And so what I thought might be helpful tonight is to um, hear someone else's story um, about their own kind of journey, their own struggles with the, their images of like themselves, of others, of God, and then um, just what kind of the journey that God's um, taken them on. So if you will give a warm welcome for my friend Eric Stinnerson. Y'all give him a hand. The table zone. The table zone, Eric. Thank you. I'm going to grab my phone with a timer because otherwise... Who knows how long? Uh. All right. Eric, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Yes. Um, so let's kind of start, um, we'll start towards the beginning. Um, telling, can you maybe just share with us um, some of your background? You've been through some really dark times in your life. Um, and just kind of give us some context, um, share some of, you know, some of what you've been through to help us, you know, get like a snapshot of who is Eric. My journey begins uh, in January of 79 when I was born in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, my birth mother put me up for adoption and I was known as baby Jeremy. I was not known as Eric at the time. And I was adopted in late summer of that year by my parents. Um, however, I never knew my parents married because they divorced in 1980. So growing up, I struggled with rejection and the fact that did I break up the marriage or was it something else? I know I've been told it's not, but you know. And at the end of sixth grade, I was diagnosed with social anxiety disorder and was forced to move to Duluth with my father. My mom and I lived in Mankato, Minnesota, so like in two and a half hours south hour south of Minneapolis. And I continued through high school, um, moved back to Mankato for college, and you know, basically lived alone, but however struggled with what became bipolar um, disorder in full by my 20s. And during that time, um, I took, tried to take my life twice during my 20s and 30s. Um, I relied heavily on alcohol and abused my prescription drugs um, greatly in order to get the high that I wanted and to drown out my sorrows. Um, so, but I thought it was all over with when I met my husband, Brandon, in uh, New Year's Eve of 1718. And I thought, now I had someone to walk 
with in this world, and this is my first relationship, um, and it was going to be great. And I put everything into it that I had. Um, however, I unfortunately did not know the difference between a good relationship and a toxic relationship, because it was my first. And after two and a half years, I was pulled out of that relationship by my family in August of 2020 and moved here to Texas. Um, they lived in Roy City and I moved to Greenville. And however, just didn't quite get back on the path that I wanted to. And so November 1st of 2020, I took my life for a third time. And I ended up in Glen Oaks Hospital and you know, I vowed when that door shut behind me five days later and I walked out that it would never happen again. And so in January of 21, um, see, January is a kind of a new start, new year, everything. Um, I met William and who I'm with today. And that is by far an absolute true relationship and um, a loving relationship built on truth and honesty and not something that's hidden behind closed doors. So um, here we are. And obviously the table came in October of 21. And so I think, you know, there's a lot left out in there because I'm 43 years old, but I think everybody can understand that it, it's been a struggle. And unfortunately, even with William, it's not a smooth path. There have been some struggles and some bumps along the way. And I think that, however, he understands and does not judge, just like God does not judge, um, neither does he. Um, Josh, I'm hearing feedback. Does he need to use my mic? Is it okay? Okay, cool. Um, so we've exchanged a number of emails, yes. and um, as Eric's kind of shared his story with me, which has been incredibly um, encouraging and um, insightful. And in one of the emails, you said, um, God created me, but I've spent 42 years trying to cover up and change that. Can you kind of unpack that? What, what is that, the covering up? the changing that, and then how has that, you know, kind of impacted your relationship right. to God? Um, growing up, obviously, I did not come out as being gay until I married Brandon, because obviously that's kind of, you know, that's, there's nothing to hide behind anymore after that. So for the first 38 years, nobody knew besides me. I mean, not my parents, not my friends. I mean, I'm sure people had, like, you know, inklings that, you know, hey, he doesn't get married to a woman, doesn't have any, you know, buddy living with him. And so I just, I, I didn't want to be who I was, who God created me to be. And so that just ended up becoming the way it was going to be. And then, like I said, I thought I had found that person to walk with and unfortunately did not. Um, but now I have that person. So now I can be who I want to be or who I am. And being in a place like this, the table, just solidifies that there are people here on earth that care, love, and don't judge as well, just like William does not, and God does not. So, you know, and that really changes who I am um, and who I can be myself and, like, tell this story because, like, I'm not embarrassed by it because it's truly who I am and there's nothing to hide behind, so... That, that kind of ties in with the, the third question, which is, um, you know, you've, the past few months, you've, you've really started to turn some corners and, like, are on a, on a better path, whether it's, um, you know, kind of maturing and deepening your relationship with William, 
you mentioned finding the table. There's been kind of a number of things. I wondered if you could kind of be or, or name what's what's been helpful, what's been kind of you know setting you free, um, and and specifically the what's been helping you kind of heal some of that that wound, like in yourself between you and God. Uh, yeah. I think I kind of missed the the God part in the second question there, but like I felt like I could do it myself. Like my twenties and thirties. Sorry, um, I felt like I didn't need to have to walk with God on a daily basis because I mean I had my alcohol, I had my drugs, I had, you know, I didn't need anybody to be walking beside me. You know, I was I was fine on my own. Like I mean I'm I'm strong enough. I don't need anything else. And you know, and if it if it hurts too bad, then I can just be done. And uh, so now that God has, I think, placed William, the table, a steady job, everything in my life that's just been kind of, my relationship has become stronger by far, and I know that he has done that for me. You know, he's, he knows what's coming next, and he understands that on November 1st, 2020, he wasn't ready to call me home yet. I was ready, but he wasn't. So here I am, and I think that it's changed exactly who I am and who I want to become and, you know, be more like Jesus every day. But I understand that I'm also human, and it's not going to be just always, you know, a walk in the park. There's going to be stumbles, but if you have God and, a, you know, a significant other to lean on, you, you will make it. And that's what the difference is between when you reject God and then, and then you know, or invite him in to be your pillar in life. Um, that verse, uh, Luke 13, 34, I was not willing at the time. And now, yes, I want to be, I want to be uh, included in the, in the, in the God's world and God's creation, so. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Y'all give him a hand. Yeah, Jesse, you can help me grab these. Thank you. Isn't God good? I love, um, Eric, I appreciate you sharing. It takes a lot of vulnerability to be, <laughs> to be up here. Um, but I, I just love hearing what God's up to and the way he, he, it's like God knows exactly what needs to be healed within each of us, you know, in relationship, like to ourselves, to others, to him, sometimes our images of him, you know, but like, it's just a, such a good work. So thank you for sharing. And um, I did want to return to that, that phrase um, that Jesus uses there um, towards the end about, uh, and you were not willing, that's the, the end of the passage, and you were not willing, you can hear almost the heartbreak in it. And what I love in Eric's story is what he named that transition from that distance and like, I'm going to figure this out on my own, you know, which wasn't working so well. <laughs> and then this sense of surrender and openness to God, like, God, okay, okay, I'm willing. I'm willing. And not that, like, like Eric mentioned, not that you snap your fingers and everything is magically solved in my life and I have no more problems. Not that, but, but I'm on the path towards wholeness. I'm taking steps every day towards, towards healing. And so as we um, just come to this, this Lenten season, um, I guess what I want to encourage us to be is just willing. Let's be, let's be willing. Let's say yes to God and um, see what he has for us. Uh, I want to pray for you, and then we're, I'm going to transition over to communion.
Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that you are a good mother to us. Thank you that you offer us safety, stability, warmth, and comfort. I lift up every person who is desperately in need of those things. If that's you tonight, I want to invite you to just open up your, your palms on your lap in a posture of just receiving from God. God, may your children receive your love. May our images of you be healed. May we stop projecting our fox-like ways onto you. May every false image of you planted by the enemy be banished. And may we be filled with your life and light. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.